All right, here we go now with a decriminalization of drug possession in British Columbia. This kicks in tomorrow in B.C. This is something that the B.C. government asked for. Ottawa has agreed to it. Possession of small amounts of hard drugs, including heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl, will be decriminalized in our province. Is this the right thing to do? We have a fantastic panel standing by to discuss this, both sides of it for you. First, have a listen here to Carolyn Bennett, the Federal Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. As of January 31st, 2023, adults 18 and over in British Columbia will no longer be subject to criminal charges for the possession of up to 2.5 grams of certain illegal drugs for personal use and the drugs will not be confiscated. Okay, let's discuss now both sides of it here. Dr. Julian Summers on the line. He's an addictions researcher at Simon Fraser University. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Dr. Summers, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for doing it. Also on the line, Guy Felicella. Guy is a harm reduction and recovery advocate, and I'm very pleased to welcome Guy back to the show as well. Guy, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, gentlemen, to both of you. Guy, let me start with you first. Do you think this is the right thing to do, right? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, uh, you're subjected to, you know, criminal punishment, incarceration, um, which turns into this revolving door of, you know, constantly in and out of uh, prison. And then you often have to look at, even when you get your life together, that that criminal record stays with you uh, for the rest of your life. And so, uh, this is definitely uh, a, a big step in the right direction because seeking employment or trying to find housing, um, you know, all those aspects of the criminal record make it extremely challenging uh, for people to, you know, support you. So this is uh, definitely a step in the right direction. Dr. Summers, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a huge amount actually in common with Guy and uh we're 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 both advocating for harm reduction and recovery, uh, which are invariably components that every person is practicing every day in some way or another, and both are essential for uh, reducing problems involving drugs. The the, the difficulty that that I think emerges um, in uh, um, the decriminalization issue is that it doesn't address the the points that guy is making and which are which which are extremely important um, decriminalizing drug users is vital but we've published and other people have shown uh, here's here are some stats 14 and a half thousand British Columbians all diagnosed with opioid addiction five offenses on average per person 70,000 for the group possession accounted for 3.8 percent of those sentences, 3.8. More than 50% are related to theft because they have no support getting jobs. They're often out on the streets. And that revolving door is turned not by possession offenses, but by having to steal things in neighborhoods. About 10% of them, the, the offenses that is, are associated with violent crimes because many of the people that we're referring to have diagnoses of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. They are living with chaos inside their own heads in environments that create chaos leading to violence. Decriminalization is turning a blind eye to all those actual factors causing that revolving door and pretending as though it's going to make some kind of a difference while we waste time. Okay, Guy, what do you think of that? 
Well, Julian's speaking to a small demographic of people. I mean, the majority of people who use drugs in this province don't always have complex needs. But also, too, if you're confiscating people's substances, that's not crime prevention. That's crime creation, which usually fuels the crime spree after. And nobody's talking about uh, decriminalizing thefts or, you know, violent crimes. We're talking about the people who are using substances. And so this is a way to actually get people the ability to... Uh, get support. I actually think this could actually be the thing that removes the stigma that surrounds it so that people are uh, able to reach out. And just what, uh, in, in my own experience, I mean, I think there's people who know the path and then there's people who live the path. And if you get caught up into that criminalization system, it's very hard to get out. It's very hard to get support. And guess what? You're incarcerated instead of going to you know, having an option of going to a rehabilitation center. So this is a way that it removes that and gives people the ability to not feel judged and hide their substance use. It's also one of the main reasons of why people use alone in our society. And so the CRIM actually gives people the ability to feel somewhat supported instead of constantly being punished because the way things are going aren't working. And that's not to say to Julian's point that we need uh, more services available to support people. Nobody's disagreeing with that, but just punishing people is not working. Julian Summers, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I disagree on the, just on, on factual grounds. Um, no one is going to prison in Canada for drug possession on its own. That is simply not a thing. The Vancouver police reported, and I forget the numbers, but the chief reported the essentially negligible number of arrests that their officers are bringing for the offense of possession. It is instead these other crimes. If we're, if we're back to the revolving door, if that's what we're talking about, if we're talking about people who are being unfairly criminalized, they're being unfairly criminalized because of offenses involving other things. And we know how to address those things. These are also the people most at risk of poisoning. People aren't experiencing poisonings merely because they're, uh, they're, 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 they're alone indoors. They're, they're, they're experiencing poisonings associated with despair and the fact that being alone is a, a symptom of a larger problem in their lives, being disengaged from, from society, from activities. Um, we need to reach out and re-engage people. And uh, this one change is going to make it now legal for people to um, sit at a park bench next to a playground, open up their crack pipes, have, or do whatever they're going to do. Police can do nothing. And it, it just it, it boggles the mind that this is being framed as somehow um, a, a step in the right direction while we continue to ignore the obvious okay. causes of addiction in the lives of many people around us. Let me get a response from Guy Felicella, and then we'll fit a break in here. Guy, go ahead. Julian, you're speaking to people who have an addiction. There's many people in the province of British Columbia, the constructions and trades industry, that people that use substances that don't have an addiction. And if you're going to take people's substances, well, guess what? Then they are going to do crime to get more substances. So if you didn't take the substances in the first place, they wouldn't have to go out. So you're, you're making a, a case against uh, you know, uh, other crimes that are associated when police confiscate their drugs. Now, police haven't been charging people um, for uh, simple possession for quite some time, but they are confiscating their drugs, which now they can't do. It's not about 
the violent crime or the theft or, you know, people are going to be sitting at a park bench smoking crack. Um, you know, I think uh, I think you really have to look and I, I, I'd love to see your facts because I don't think what you're speaking is factual. OK, Julian, oh, uh, Julian oh, Summers, no, I, I know you want to respond to that, but let me let me fit the break in here right now, as we must do. And then you can get your opportunity on the other side here. So don't go anywhere as we continue to discuss decriminalization of drug possession in B.C. Julian Summers, Guy Felicella are my guests. This is Mike Smith. More after this. We continue to discuss decriminalization of small amounts of drugs in B.C. It kicks in tomorrow. 2.5 grams of hard drugs like cocaine, heroin, fentanyl. It will be uh, decriminalized to possess these small amounts of drugs. Police will not be allowed to confiscate drugs of, of that amount. I got both sides of it here for you. Julian Summers, Guy Felicella are my guests. Hey, Guy, let me ask you real quickly about safe supply, because a lot of people argue that decriminalization is one thing, but doesn't go far enough. What you need is a safe supply of drugs because people are dying from the poison drug supply in the street. You support safe supply, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, decriminalization isn't going to address the illicit drug supply at all. So, you know, um, will that reduce uh, the number of people dying? No, um, we need a response to the illicit drug supply, which is often uh, misinformed. The public is misinformed on the information because the access of people who access uh, safe supply is very, very small percent of, of people who struggle with uh, an opiate use disorder. And if you are an inter intermittent substance use disorder without a diagnosis, you can't even access uh, safer prescribed supplies. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, is not implemented uh, properly in the province either. Okay, uh, could a widened safe supply system be the next thing to be introduced? Julian Summers, what do you think of that concept? Oh, it's going to be the thing introduced. The Dr. Bonney's uh, report um, petitioning the federal government to decriminalize emphasized in its text that the next priority must be scaling up pharmaceutical supply of drugs. So there's no question that this is a, a coming attraction. In fact, one is designed so that the other can follow. And what do you think of that idea? Well, we, we've published a guy, 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 guy questioned uh, evidence before the break. And uh, so I just encourage people to um, Google. Um, we've done a peer-reviewed uh, review on what happens when places decriminalize. So uh, the, the term Google decriminalization and, and uh, my last name, S-O-M-E-R-S. Um, we, we also produced a review on the public supply of addictive drugs. Um, this is one of only two measures that the Stanford Lancet Commission, when they did a large review of the opioid crisis uh, involving OxyContin, um, said this is, this is one of the two things that countries around the world should absolutely not do is attempt to create a pharmaceutical supply that would displace illegal trafficking. And, they, and they, 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 they refer to it as the pharmacological sedation of poverty. Um, so that's, it's clearly what's going to happen. There's a basic rule of thumb in this area of, uh, of, of pharmacy and population health. If you introduce a, large, a larger supply of drugs into a population and don't do anything else, problems go up. And that's what we're facing. Guy Felicello, what do you say to that? Well, you know, I, I, I have to disagree. I mean, we have, uh, you know, 42 people dying every week in the, in the province of British Columbia, you know, and that's due to the illicit drug supply. And so um, those are a lot of people who don't struggle with an opiate use disorder either. 
And even when people are being released from prison or they go into treatment and they're, you know, left with no housing afterwards, I mean, you know what? The whole structure of the system needs to change. And unfortunately, treatment, going to treatment or recovery treatment or addiction treatment doesn't guarantee either that people will be successful uh, in not using again. And so we have to have, you know, a, a systems of care in place. And that's just the, you know, the reality in my life is that I wouldn't be here today on this planet doing what I do. My kids wouldn't be here uh, alive uh, if harm reduction services didn't exist. And harm reduction never meant to eliminate harm. It's only meant to reduce harms in our society. And so, you know, the recovery industry as well needs to um, understand and acknowledge that uh, harm reduction actually uh, saves lives. And they also have to have a plan in place as well. If somebody does leave their facility, they're hooked up with a harm reduction facility because, you know, the risk of people using again, you know, there's no margin of error, unfortunately, and they die. It's not like it was back in the 80s or 90s. We are in 2023. And the illicit poison drug supply is saturated with toxic drugs that are killing people. And just telling them not to do it doesn't stop people from doing it. Julian Summers, what do you say to that? That seems obviously true. I mean, I've been practicing and writing about harm reduction since the 1980s. Uh, and it's come a long way. We now know that we can reduce the harm of homelessness. We can reduce the harm of food insecurity and starvation. We can reduce the harm of untreated mental illness. We can, we can reduce the harm of unemployment among people, the vast majority of whom are wanting to get back to paid sources of work. We can reduce all those harms. And it, it really is a, a, a primitive gesture to, to act as though we have no knowledge about how to reduce all of those forms of harm. And the only thing we can do is something that no other place on planet Earth has ever done, which is to provide a publicly funded supply of drugs to people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder who are homeless. That's, that's where we are. It's, it's not about harm reduction versus recovery. It's about promoting the agenda of the pharmaceutical industry or uh, or, or, or embracing what science has shown to be helpful around the world in countries that have turned things around, it is always by providing people with opportunities to enhance sources of meaning in their life. The causes of, of, of the addiction crisis here are not a toxic drug supply. The, the drug, toxic drug supply, so-called, is available to every one of us, everyone listening, all three of us on the show right now. Why aren't we all using it? And it is people who are living in despair, suicidal thoughts overlap about 50% of the time with people on their first poisoning attempt. We, we have to recognize that this is a part of a larger problem. It is not about the supply. It is about okay. the demand for drugs. Sadly, guys, we just have one minute left. Guy, I'll give you the final word here. Go ahead with your thoughts. We've got a minute here. Well, uh, I just listened to Catherine Botchford speak at a press conference who talked about her husband, who was a TN, TSN sports analyst, who had no idea that her husband was uh, intermittently using uh, opioids. And so I've heard many, many stories. It's not uh, an addictions crisis. Uh, it's a drug poisoning crisis that's also enhancing addiction as well. But there's a lot of people who use substances in our society for a vast uh, majority of reasons. And one of them is just because drugs are sometimes fun. Uh, we don't point fingers at the causes of alcohol uh, and the damage that it causes. Um, so it's kind of hypocritical to point fingers at the illicit drug supply without 
addressing what a regulated drug supply of alcohol does okay. and the damage that it does in our society. All right, gentlemen, the time has flown by. Uh, I want to thank you for an excellent discussion. I would love to have you both back. Thank you for your time today. Dr. Julian Summers there. He's an addictions researcher, SFU. Guy Felicella. Guy is a harm reduction and recovery advocate. I want to thank both of them.